Hi, I'm Father Daniel Duplantis, a Catholic priest, martial artist, and host of the Karate Priest Podcast. Have you ever wondered what the Church teaches about different topics? Are you a martial arts enthusiast or just someone who wants to learn more about martial arts? I'd like to invite you to join me and many guests on my podcast as we cover topics of faith, everyday living, and martial arts on the Karate Priest Podcast. guys, welcome back to season three of A Catholic's Perspective, the podcast all about being a young Catholic surviving in a secular world. Today, I have with me a special guest, Brian from Catholic Truth. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Yes, thank you for joining us. We're going to have a very fun topic today. It's about yoga and kind of the new age system and stuff. I think this is something that my generation is struggling with quite a bit because it's kind of being pushed in our faces quite a bit. And, you know, my generation is just kind of like, well, what's wrong with it? It's just stretches and exercises and it can't really be that harmful. Right. So it's going to be really important that we talk about this today so that people understand uh, the differences about yoga and and like what it's kind of I don't know, I, I, I guess the dangers of it, but but also what it was meant to be, et cetera. So just the history of it, I guess, in general. So, um, but before we get into that, why don't you tell the listeners a little about yourself? Sure, my name is Brian Mercier. I am the president of Catholic Truth, and it's an apologetics organization to defend Jesus Christ and the Catholic faith. And I've been a Catholic speaker forever, <laughs> for a long time, retreat leader, author, a professional Catholic apologist, and I love spreading the Catholic faith. And I actually have written two books. One is on the existence of God and kind of proving God, science, religion, all of that. And my second book is called Counterfeit Spirituality, and it's on exposing the false gods. It's basically on the New Age movement. Like, I, I don't know if you know this, Amber, but uh, they when bank executives back in the day, they used to have to count money for one week straight, for one oh. week, eight hours a day, every day. At the end of eight hours, they would slip in counterfeit dollar bills, $100 bills, stuff like that. And these people, because they had been so used to touching the money, they could spot the counterfeit in one second. As soon as they touched it, they knew it was different. That's how oh. trained they were. We used to be like that in the Catholic faith. We used to have excellent catechesis. Parents used to pass on the faith. Now we don't. Now, you know, many Catholics don't know the faith. They can't recognize the counterfeit and they get pulled into all sorts of false spiritualities, new age spiritualities, even things like yoga, Reiki, centering prayer, the law of attraction, astrology, psychics, horoscopes, you name it. I mean, people are getting into these things that can be very dangerous for our souls and we don't know the difference. We can't spot the counterfeit. So I wrote this book to help people to know what What's true, what's not, and how can you know the difference? It's basically a spiritual discernment guide. Well, I'm definitely going to get that book because, you know, <laughs> I think it's difficult because especially in today's day and age, there's TV shows and movies that introduce children to the occult and they're really targeting kids more because I think a lot of times society thinks that parents are dumb, right? They're like, well, you sent you send your kid to public school where they get indoctrinated or this or that or whatever, you know, society treats parents like they're stupid on TV, you know, so kids are raised to think their parents don't know anything and they don't learn to respect their parents opinions about stuff. So when their mom is just like, no, you can't watch that show because it's demonic, like the owl house that came out from Disney a couple 
um, was that two years ago or something? I don't know. And it introduced kids to Wicca and witchcraft and things. Mm. Um, and parents were against this. Well, kids were just like, um, well, it's a good show, mom. Maybe you should stop being so uptight. And it's interesting how the generational gap is causing issues, you know, but I've noticed yeah, if you don't mind of- me saying so, um, like just on that whole note, like there's some people have a war about Harry Potter. Some Catholics say it's fine. Other Catholics say it's not, you know, it's like, okay. Some people, a lot of most people are in the middle, but the, the head of all of Wicca in the country came out and personally thanked Harry Potter for making the, the uptick of witches and the interest in witchcraft and all of that. So whether, you know, itself is good or bad, it's causing people, our culture is causing people to look into the wrong things and to get into the wrong things. And of course, when you lose the faith and you lose your compass, you're going to go anywhere else. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just very unfortunate because they're targeting the kids, you know, and I, I noticed that more and more, they kind of took away from the adults and they're more towards the kids now, which is a lot of things like society is kind of targeting kids in a lot of ways, but no, I completely agree. So I am just very excited to get into this topic because it's one that I struggled with growing up when I was away from the church for eight years, you know, I dabbled in Reiki and yoga and, and the new age movement crystals and all of that. And I was like, you know, it's a rock. But people say it's supposed to give me good energy. So I guess I'm just going to carry it with me everywhere. But like, it's, it's not like a rock does nothing. <laughs> like it's a rock. It's dead. <laughs> yeah, literally. Or it's cursed. Like one of the two, <laughs> you never know which one. But yeah. um. so yeah, I kind of, you know, growing up, like my parents were very anti-yoga, anti-reiki, anti-all of that. But at the same time, like the, the early 2000s is kind of when that stuff started becoming more popular. Um, Mm -hmm. and now people go to yoga classes and sweatshops and whatever. I don't know, whatever it's not sweatshops, you know, I'm talking like sweat, uh, sweat lodges, sweat lodges. Yes. Like all these things where they do hot yoga and there's different kinds. And I'm just like, so I've grown up with yoga, understanding, like not really liking it because personally, I don't like the kind of exercises it is, but what's your experience with yoga and what is it specifically? Yeah, you mentioned that it just kind of became popular in, you know, the early 2000s. That's actually very true, because in even in the early 1980s, you could count on one hand the amount of yoga shops in this country, oh, <laughs> like wow. yoga studios. There was none because yoga was not a practice in the West, hardly. And uh, I came here much, much, much later and mostly started in the 1930s. Yoga that we know today started around the 1930s, but then became popular in the 1950s and mostly in the 1980s. So now, I mean, since 1980s to like 2000, now you have, it's like a multi-billion dollar industry, these yoga pants, yoga mats, yoga diets, yoga day, yoga, everything, everything. We just basically commercialized the whole thing. And Hindus are like so offended by that. Um, you know, they're like, you take everything and you, you, you know, you take things that are spiritual, you Americans, and you just pervert it, you know, you secularize yeah. it, you do take it for money. Uh, but asking what yoga is, is a good question. Um, it's actually the perfect question. Cause if you ask people what yoga is, what do they say? It's exercise. You know, it's a way just for me to limber up and feel fit and, you know, less stressed. And many people equate yoga with exercise, and that's exactly what it's not. <laughs> it's not remotely what uh, it is. And 
in order to understand this, you have to look at the history. And so I'm going to give you like a one minute history of it right now. And we can go back more later. But basically, people say yoga is not a religion. And I agree, it's not a religion, but it evolved and came from a religious worldview, specifically the Hinduistic worldview. People don't like that being said, but even pro yoga masters know that that's true. Um, one of the most authoritative books on yoga uh, yoga body, and this guy's a yoga master. He even said that the very first um, usage of the word yoga was found about 2,500 years ago in the Hindu scriptures. And also, it, yoga, the word yoga comes from Sha, Shaki, Shiva, and uh, one of the other Hindu gods that just blanked out of my mind. Um, but the three Hindu gods basically brought yoga to the humans as a way for them to find freedom from karma, freedom from this world, and to find enlightenment. So where do you find yoga? All throughout the Hindu scriptures. So why it is, it's not a religion, but it is a spiritual practice in or, designed specifically to help people achieve enlightenment, divine enlightenment, oneness with the universe, oneness with Brahman, who is the god of the universe. And in fact, most people don't know this, fun fact, but you know how we always see Buddha statues and he's always you know, kind of like kneeling in that position, he achieved nirvana by practicing yoga. That's what he was doing. He was meditating for long hours every day, and he achieved this enlightenment, this nirvana experience that everyone talks about through yoga. So that was the primary practice of yoga. It was a spiritual practice. Um, and in fact, there were a lot of different types of yoga. There was hatha yoga, there was uh, vinyasa yoga, there's, I mean, lots of different types of yoga. And uh, a sage about 2000 years ago, his name was Pentanjali, he took all of the different types of yoga, and he synthesized them into one um, authoritative coded yoga source. It was called Raja, Raja Yoga or Kingly Yoga. It's the most, and basically, I mean, he's a sage in the Hindu religions. Like he is probably the most, he, not probably, he is the most authoritative text in the entire Hindu world on yoga. And he tells us what yoga is. He says it's consisting of eight branches of a tree. So the first two branches are like pr preparation, like you can't even start yoga till you prepare. One is dietary laws where you purify yourself, you fast. I mean, it's similar to Christianity and fasting. And the other one is through studying. So you study, you pray, you fast, and you prepare yourself. Then the third one is asana. That's the exercise one. That's what most people are familiar with. The fourth branch is uh, meditation where you and breathing. Uh, so you breathe, then meditation, then contemplation, and then you withdraw your senses. And then you come to the final step, which is samadhi, which is basically nirvana, freedom from this world, enlightenment, God consciousness, whatever you call it. But you basically find the oneness with all that is. Now, notice people say yoga is exercise, right? Yeah. But how many of those, I guess, branches or stages were exercise? Exercise. Uh, only one. one. Yeah. Asana. And it was, if you read all these, the Hindu books on it, the yoga books, it's by far the least important. The only purpose for the asanas in the first place was so that you could make your body flexible and strong so that you could sit for hours in meditation and go to meditation, con uh, contemplation, and then divine enlightenment. Um, well, so that was the purpose too. of the exercise. Yeah, no, I think that's important too, due to the fact that so many people like so many people are lazy today. I mean, myself included. I mean, I didn't do any research on yoga really beforehand, but 
the fact of the matter is they're not willing to do research on something before they can like they invest themselves into it they're just told oh it's just an exercise and it's just a way to release stress and stuff and that's it they have no idea about this whole other side of it that's so interesting um but also explains a lot about why we kind of worry about it a little bit as christians you know that's very interesting um what do you like to tell those people who do practice yoga for like the health benefits? Like, what do you say to them? You know? Yeah, that's a perfect segue because I just said that it's, it was the least important, right? Asana. In fact, asana isn't actually exercise. We just say that colloquially. Uh, Asana means like seated posture and um, yoga never had the exercises that we have today. The exercises that we do in yoga today were actually only added around the 19, early 1900s. They only became popular in the 1950s, um, in 1980s here in America, but we'll come back to that later. Um, you know, I'll give a little bit of a history of it, but the point is that the, the exercises, the asanas that they use through the history of yoga, you could probably count on two hands. Like they had stretches that were so basic. Like people say, oh, if you do any uh, exercises in yoga, you know, it's demonic. And, and I agree. If you, if you're practicing yoga and you're doing these in conjunction with the spirituality, there's a big problem, but the, the five or 10 exercises they had were so simple. They were like standing, they were like bending down and touching your toes. It was like putting your hand on your lower back and bending backwards. Like they hadn't, Throughout the history of yoga, they knew nothing about the the mountain pose or the downward dog or the snake pose, the boat pose, or any of these po- the the warrior one two three and a hundred infinity poses. You know, like they didn't know about any of these poses because what most people don't know is that the exercises and the stretches, the asanas, the postures, those were all taken from Western. Uh, practices like mm-hmm. Danish gymnastics, Swedish gymnastics, medical gymnastics, bodybuilding, contortionism, things like that. These were all used in the Westerners because Westerners went over to India in the early 1900s, late 1800s, actually. And they felt bad for the Indians because they were so like uh, just thin, basically half dead, they look like. And they're like, these people need some exercise. So, you know, like the, the Christians, um, the YMCA went over there and started teaching them calisthenics. Uh, oh. People from Sweden went over there and started teaching them gymnastics. And they started getting the Indian people uh, in it really in shape. And the Maharaja of India just loved it. He loved how fit and how uh, much the Indian people were growing, not only physically, but spiritually, um, pridefully, like they were becoming pride, you know, like happy and, you know, proud of themselves and that sort of thing. So he actually took, and I don't know if you know this, but um, BK Iyengar is practically one of the founding fathers of modern day yoga. He's one of two people. I didn't Um, know that. he was one of the two people that the Maharaja chose to basically make um, make yoga. Actually, let me back up. The Maharaja took uh, one man and that man chose two students. B.K. Iyengar was one of those two students. And so B.K. Iyengar was the one who brought modern day yoga to the world. And the other guy brought vinyasa yoga, which most people know today, to the world. So those two styles... Uh, Hatha yoga and Vinyasa yoga were really what made yoga popular. But here's the thing. 
that only happened around the 1930s. Gymnastics, medical gymnastics. Did you know that medical gymnastics and harmonial gymnastics, mostly used for women, were tried to get people to be connected by mind, body, and soul through exercise and breathing? <laughs> like, does that oh. sound familiar? This yeah, was used like 50 to 100 years before yoga ever usurped it and put it in its own practice. Um, Danish and Swedish gymnastics were so good that the British national military used them for training their um, for training their soldiers. So these were great exercise practices that Iyengar and others took these practices, took these exercises, took these postures. And by the way, these exercises that these people used in gymnastics, they named them. That is why yoga started naming their postures too. That's why yoga started. I mean, basically everything that you have today was taken from uh, Christians and from Western practice. Most people don't know that. So uh, what do I tell people about exercise? First of all, yoga is not about exercise. That's what I tell them. Um, it's a spiritual practice that it tries to help people find enlightenment, which is why Catholics can't practice yoga because it's, it, it contradicts the Bible, it contradicts Jesus, and it contradicts our Catholic faith. I mean, if you just do the exercises, like if you do the mountain pose, which is just standing straight with your arms down at your side and bringing your chest up, and you just try to have good posture, that's not wrong. That's not right. bad because you're just standing up straight. You know, if you right. do, you know, the warrior pose where you just like lean forward, you know, on your legs, or if you do like the boat pose or a lot of these poses are just stretches and they preceded yoga. So if you want to do stretching and exercises, I say, absolutely go for it. Do it on your own. It's fine. You can even find some good exercise programs that'll help you that already have these same stretches and postures. You don't need to do yoga. Yoga is something different. Yoga has one branch as exercise, but it also has other things that most people don't realize until I tell them this. I've gotten, Amber, I've gotten into so many arguments with people. I say, what is yoga? They say, it's just exercise. They get so mad at me. I said, have you ever heard of the terms, you know, when you're in an, uh, a yoga class, have you ever heard the term, you know, just connect with yourself? And they said, yeah, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with getting in touch with yourself. I said, I agree. But in the worldview of yoga, there is a big problem with it because the self is capitalized. Read any yoga book in any yoga magazine online you want. It's always capitalized because they believe we are God. They believe we are divine. And when you connect with yourself, you're connecting with the divine. That's how we find freedom and divine enlightenment is connecting with the source. Most people don't know that the word yoga means to join or to integrate. So the purpose of yoga, the whole goal of yoga is to join your mind, your body, and your soul together. And when you find that oneness, that monism, then you join it with the rest of the collective divine consciousness in the universe. And that's when you find nirvana and freedom and enlightenment. So that's the purpose of all the exercises in yoga is to get you to that state. In fact, the yoga, the scriptures, the Hindu scriptures say that uh, your stretching and your, your seated postures should make you so strong that you can sit like a board for hours and just meditate and lose yourself, literally lose yourself, lose your consciousness, lose everything and become one with all that is. So if you want to do exercises outside of yoga on your own in your house with some videos, absolutely. But when you put them in the context of a yoga class, well, then it takes on a spiritual connotation. And most people, even the, even the uh, teachers don't even know that. Most teachers 
are trying to get rid of the spirituality. They're like, oh, we don't want this spirituality. But number mm -hmm. one, they don't know better because they haven't studied. And number two, they're ignorant because they don't know, they don't have faith of themselves. So they're still promoting spiritual practices like the third eye or the connection to self or oneness with all that is or breathing techniques. You, you talk about breathing, right? Breathing, what's wrong with breathing? Nothing. Deep breathing is good. It's, it's science. But in yoga, it's energy and it's connected with the goddess Shakti, who is the goddess of energy. So when you breathe in, you're actually breathing in the goddess Shakti and energy, or at least, I mean, they might not tell you this, but I'm just telling you, this is where it all yeah. comes from. And the Kundalini and all of that, that all comes from energy and the energy we breathe in in the yoga classes, um, chanting, all of that stuff that we don't realize has Hindu foundations and has spirituality that contradicts our Catholic faith. Right. And I also think it's interesting because I like how you explained it because of the fact that, you know, a lot of these stretches and things, when I dislocated my kneecaps, my uh, PT had me do, my physical therapist had me do specific stretches. And I'm like, these are like yoga stretches. She's like, no, these are just regular stretches. But I would get so paranoid <laughs> because every single stretch you did was a yoga stretch, you know? And right. it's one yeah. of those things where I'm like, can I just do this because I don't know? And then I want to do the stretches and then my legs would get worse. So it was just one of those things where I'm like, clearly there has to be some distinction because, you know, if you're trying to meditate and open your third eye and you're trying to align your chakras, you know, there's an issue there. There's a major issue there. But if you're trying to, I don't know, stretch your hips or you're in physical therapy and they're having you do downward dog because you need to stretch your shoulder blades or whatever it might be, I think intention is really important too. Um, a lot of the times, but I know a lot of scrupulous friends who panic because they're just like, I think I did a yoga pose, but I didn't mean to. And I'm like, that's not sweetie. That's not what it is. That's not how that works. <laughs> and I think just what I explained, what I think would help them to realize that, that they, these yoga poses weren't actually yoga poses. They were gymnastics, harmonial mm -hmm. gymnastics, things like that, long before it became part of yoga. So the, the poses themselves are neutral in most cases. Um, and in fact, my friend, he is Catholic and he does yoga. Um, he mostly just does the exercises. Um, but he asked me, he's like, you know, oh, I, and another lady asked me too. She's like, you know, these people do yoga poses with me, you know, for my physical therapy, you know, and I want to do these poses because they actually worked with other people in their physical therapy. So would it be bad if I use them? I said, no, it wouldn't be because they're just stretches. They're good mm -hmm. exercises. They work work. But when you take them and put them inside of a yoga class, then you're putting it inside of a spiritual worldview rather than just doing exercise. Exercise is exercise. Stretching is stretching. There's nothing right. inherently wrong with either of those, but it's when you put it in this yoga class that it becomes problematic. No, I completely agree. And I think that's why it's good we're doing this episode because I think it'll help people understand things a little bit clearer, um, especially since things are- Can so I say, I'm sorry, I had an additional thought, if you don't mind no, me fine. saying, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. um, I think some of the confusion comes in why people might be scrupulous because there are some Catholic, some big Catholic people. Um, I even quoted a couple of them in my book on the subject, uh, even though I disagree with them on some things. Um, but they say that anytime you do a yoga pose, you're automatically worshiping Hindu gods. Now, if you're in a yoga class, I agree with that. That's totally sure. Okay, I could I could say that. But outside, if you're just doing these stretches, you're not worshiping Hindu gods. And they say, you know, well, 
you know, uh, signs and symbols are, are the same thing. You can't change them. They are what they are. That's not true. People use different signs and symbols in different ways across the world for different cultures. But the point is the exercises came first from non-Hindu, non-spiritual reasons. And that's very important to know so that when they, they would be doing, they were done like probably 50 to 100 years before yoga ever used them. So if we use them, we're actually going, we're predating yoga. Um, and in fact, uh, one of, um, I think it was like, uh, I guess the yogis, you might, I guess that's what you'd call them, the Hindu yogis. Yeah. When they introduced, uh, when they introduced Hatha yoga, you guys, you know what Hatha yoga is, right? That's the, the yoga that focuses on physical postures and form more right. than the other postures. Now that was used from the 13th century to the 17th century. And then it fell out of practice. It wasn't used anymore, but then it was picked up around the late 18th century, but it wasn't used for yoga. It was used as a disguise it was because the people in India were subject to England, right? England ruled over India at the time, but they wanted to overthrow their captors. So they used to use Hatha yoga to practice their lethal and military tactics, their training, their killing and that sort of thing. But they did it under the guise of yoga. So when the uh, yogis heard about the fact that they were taking yoga and adding exercises to it, they they thought of two things. One, those crazy freaks who were trying to overthrow people. They're not about peace, they're about power. And then the people who, I don't know if I should say this, but basically naked guys who used to stand on their head for hours were practicing Hatha yoga. That's what people saw in India. They would also lay on nails of uh, sorry, beds of nails. They would yeah. wear 500 pounds of chains and they would stand in public for three hours. Like nobody associated exercise with yoga as a good thing until it started to become popular with the Maharaja when I told you about. So I don't think people should fear about doing exercises for physical therapy or on their own. Right. Yeah. Because also it's separate, you know, it's like yoga is supposed to be more of a spiritual thing that you, I mean, again, like you said, like the exercises didn't come in until the early 1900s, but also, um, I mean, I was in gymnastics and I was in a lot of that stuff and a lot of the stretches and things we did, uh, were considered to be like yoga, but they weren't, you know, they were just like, all right, now we're going to do like crisscross applesauce. And, you know, I was like, <laughs> a kid. so there's like that whole thing, but I do know that yoga can open the doorways to the demonic. Is that true? Like, is there a specific type of yoga? Are there specific types that can do that? Or how does that tend to happen? Sure. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. So yes, uh, exorcists have warned against yoga that it can open doorways to the other side, especially when you get into deep meditation and spiritual practices like that. And I know a lot of yoga classes don't have a lot of this stuff, but it can lead to it for sure. Um, so especially with things, just for example, like kundalini yoga, this is part of hatha yoga. Ironically, hatha yoga, by the way, is the yoga of BK Iyengar, the, the, the highest authority in the last century or two centuries on yoga, probably. And he talks all about kundalini energy. And this energy is supposed to be like a snake. That should tell you something. And the snake is coiled around your spine at the base of your spine. Down by your lower back. 
And as you practice the postures and as you practice deep breathing and as you practice releasing yourself from this world, the snake awakens and the energy awakens and it starts uncoiling around your spine and coming up your spine until it reaches your crown chakra. So it enlightens all of your chakras until it gets to your crown chakra. Now, this is practiced even today in a lot of Hatha yoga studios here in America. They talk about kundalini yoga, awaken your energy, let it free you, just relax, all of that sort of thing. And the problem is, this is totally demonic. This yeah. energy comes from the Greek, uh, the, the goddess Shakti, first of all, and there's a goddess Kundalini as well. So these are what are, are awakening in your soul. Now, even if you don't accept the Hindu practices, you're opening yourself to doorways that should left be it should be shut, really. But you're opening them by practicing these and even being in the presence of these. Um, so this guy. Uh, <clears throat> Russell Paul, he was an ex-Catholic seminarian and he left to become a yoga master. So he's very familiar with the Catholic faith and he's very familiar with Hinduism. And he has a book called Jesus in the Lotus. Basically, he thinks Jesus is a new age guru who sat in the Indian style, meditated for hours and that sort of thing. But he talks about kundalini energy. He talks about the importance of it and how it frees you and helps you to find divine enlightenment. I'm going to read a clip if you don't mind, because it's yeah, when, you, when I read this to you, I really want you to hear this because he's practicing Kundalini. He loves it. He thinks it's great, but huh. you're going to see how demonic it is. I'm, this, these are his own words, which I'm going to be uh, reading to you. He says this, he says, uh, I could feel the energy building in my soul. It came from the floor, from the bathroom. <clears throat> and I, of course, have experienced similar energy before. The energy continued to rise slow and steady. And I could feel it in my ankles, then in my shins, and then in my knees. I'm not going to read all of it, but he goes on to say, uh, it ended up becoming terrifying. I ended up seeing light pour out from my eyes and pour out from everything. I looked at a field of elephant grass in the eucalyptic forest and the rivers, and it was all pulsating with the same energy. And it was so bright. I looked up in the sky, it had the same energy. So I went to the temple as quick as I could. And the experience I had inside the temple was equally terrifying. The walls of the temple were no longer solid. They were liquid-like and glowing with energy. I became emotionally paralyzed and greatly frightened. Not wanting to give up, I kept going, but I became overwhelmed. I sat in the hermitage, terrified, hugging myself in a corner, not knowing what to do. I could sense this energy was all around me now. <laughs> this is the freaky part. He said, but it wasn't just energy. There was an otherness to this energy. There was someone else there. Oh. And there was a beingness to it. And it definitely wasn't human. Whatever it was, it was intent on communicating with me. And I could feel that intention. And so much so that the energy was now pushing me and almost forcing me. And... <clears throat> He goes on to say how it was harsh and violent with him and he became freaked out. And he said, this experience lasted weeks, almost a full month before I could return to the temple at the ashram and continue my life there. The moment I tried to speak of it, the intensity and the <clears throat> uh, emotion would rise up with such a force that it would choke me verbally and I couldn't even speak for months. Now, let me just say that no saint 
in history has ever had an experience like this, because this is not a godly experience. This is not from God. It was from Satan himself, the angel of light who deceives people, who leads people away from the God, God, the great deceiver. And this guy used to be a Catholic seminarian, and he got so deeply into yoga that he may have been demonically possessed or harassed or something bad. That is not, God is not terrifying, freaking you out or anything. Cause I've had contemplative experiences similar to the saints and I'm not holy. So please don't think I am, but God has blessed me with some and they're the complete opposite of that. Yeah. That's clearly demonic. I mean, you hear exorcists talk about stuff like that all the time, you know, with, you know, people from other religions coming to them and explaining to them their, their problems and they're possessed. And it's an absolutely, it's so sad because he was a seminarian. He was so close and yet he was so far. How, I mean, that kind of begs the question, how do people get tricked into doing yoga and like the new age things without knowing about it, with thinking that it's a great thing after being a seminarian, after being a Catholic, like how, how does that happen? Yeah. Is it just a weakness of the spirit, a weakness of faith? Um, it's, it's a bunch of different things. That's a great question. Maybe I can come back on and do another show on centering prayer. Cause I think this answers the question too. Like let me just give the example by way of centering prayer. <clears throat> Father Thomas Keating is the founder of centering prayer. Mm-hmm. He founded it, the modern day centering prayer. And it's actually Hinduism and Buddhism mixed with Catholicism. He had, he misinterpreted Vatican II. Vatican II told us to go out and talk to people, find out about religions, converse with them, you know, ecumenism. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people did, have done ecumenism wrong. The Vatican II never said, go learn from all the other religions. All religions are correct. You know, we're all the same, just, you know, share with each other. But that's how some of these people took it. In fact, Vatican II condemns syncretism. It condemns that. It says the Catholic Church is the only way to heaven, which it is. Um, But these people, Father Keating, went and talked to Hindus for 10 years. He had Buddhist retreats at his Catholic hermitage for 20 years. And he took what he liked from Hindu and Buddhism, and he took what he liked from Catholicism, and he blended them together. Now, another man named uh, Father Berry, who was a Catholic priest, did the exact same thing. He's the guy who influenced Russell Paul. Russell Paul started learning from Hinduism from him and learning from uh, about Buddhism and, and, and yoga from. So these people were completely confused. They abandoned true Catholic spirituality and contemplation for false spiritual practices. Even um, who's that famous guy? I just blanked out on his name. He uh, wrote the seven story mountain. Um, he's one of the most famous Catholic converts and he ended up getting into, uh, Buddhism and Zen at the end of his life. And he influenced a lot of people. And so a lot of people are just misinformed. Uh, and that's one reason why they get into it. Another reason why they get into it is because, uh, the people at the, uh, yoga studios and, you know, yoga places, they don't advertise, hey, come get mindfulness or come get, you know, yoga um, enlightenment and that sort of thing. No, they say get exercise. Just are you feeling stressed? You know, come feel free. Are you feeling, you know, down? We can help you stretching exercise. It's going to help you. It's going to put your mind, your body and your soul back into oneness and you can feel complete. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? So that's what people want and that's what they go for. But So people don't go there looking necessarily for spirituality, but many of them find it. There are three different ways, three different, I guess, avenues. One, 
there are yoga studios that do not try to get rid of the spirituality. They don't, they, they think it's part of yoga. They know it's part of yoga, so they don't even try to hide it, but they advertise the physical fitness aspects because they know that the spirituality part won't lead people in. The other part are the people who kind of use a little bit of a, a mixture. And then the other, the third way is they try to remove spirituality and just focus on physical fitness, but they still talk about chakras. They still talk about oneness. They still talk about self. Why? Because these yoga masters are trained from people who believe in all this stuff. And so it synthesizes down into their own practice. So while they're trying to just do physical fitness, there's also spirituality being added as well. So people are getting into it many times unintentionally. Yeah. I usually notice that how it happens, you know, especially high schoolers and stuff, the gym instructors and things will have like a yoga session for high schoolers where it's just like, I remember going to an intensive, a theater intensive downtown Chicago and um, they, in the morning, they had us do like starfish and fetal pose and like breathe and connect with your childhood self. And I'm like, this is stupid and I'm going to fall asleep. Like I wasn't even a part of my faith at that point yet, but I'm like, this is so dumb. Like I'm getting nothing (laughs) out of this and I am not a starfish, nor am I a fetus anymore. So um, I Thanks. But they would punish you if you didn't want to do it. And that happens a lot today in colleges too. Like some people will be like, I'm going to do a project on yoga and you guys have to follow along with me. And, you know, if you say no, you're like insulting them or or, or something. And, And it's like, it goes against my religion though. You know, the stretches, no, but like, these are the people that actually buy into the whole like namaste and like all of that type of thing. And it's like, we can't do that. You know, if it was just the stretches, like certain things, sure. But even then they like to twist that sometimes into something spiritual. They're like, when you're in the warrior pose, I want you to pretend like you're a goddess and you just fought about <laughs> like it's so funny what some of these people come up with and i'm like yeah no i'm just going to do this because i need better core strength thanks barbara um so it's interesting it's interesting how that kind of works you know um but yeah it all has a connection to spirituality i live in a complex um in my when I, <clears throat> at my house and it's 90% hindu probably 95% mm. hindu and they greet people saying namaste you know, it's just a greeting for most people. But what most people don't realize is there's also a spiritual connection to that greeting. It actually means that the light in me greets the light in you, or more accurately, the divine in me greets the divine in you. We're all, see, Hindu spirituality believes that everyone is God. Everyone's God. Everything is God. Everyone in the universe is God. That It's called pantheism and it comes from monism. Monism is what you will find. Just we're all one. Have you ever heard that in a yoga class or a spiritual practice, Reiki? We're all one. They actually believe that. It's not like, oh, we're one in a nice sense. No, they actually believe that trees, buildings, cars, sky, us, everything is the exact same thing. And if you think we all are different, then that's because you're not a spiritual person and you haven't received divine enlightenment yet. But we are all part of the one universal energy source who is Brahman. And once you realize that, then you achieve divine enlightenment. So that's, we are divine. We are Brahmin and we're greeting that in the other person because they are too. In fact, there's a famous phrase in um, centering prayer, or it comes from Hinduism. It says, Atman is Brahman, Brahman is Atman. Atman is, I mean, uh, Brahman is my soul and my soul is Brahman. So we are one and the same thing. Oh, no, thank you. That's uh... <laughs> <clears throat> 
Yeah, I kind of remember something like that, though. Like they're saying, like, you know, when you're greeting someone, you're greeting their divine self. And I'm like, so nobody's divine except Jesus. Okay, good to know. Thanks, guys. That's so crazy, though. But I feel like we can talk forever on this topic and we should totally have you back on more to just discuss new age stuff. Um, But thank you so much for coming on and discussing this. Where can my listeners find you? Yeah, they can find us uh, on our website at thecatholictruth.org if they'd like a Catholic speaker. They can find us on Catholic Truth YouTube, Catholic Truth Podcast, Catholic Truth Instagram. Pretty much just look up Catholic Truth and we'll be there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on here and talking about this. We'll definitely have you back sometime to continue the conversation. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Of course. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode. I hope you learned a lot. And I will be talking to you guys in the next podcast episode. Until then, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to A Catholic's Perspective with me, The Religious Hippie. Make sure to visit my official website at thereligioushippie.com, and while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter to keep up to date with my latest news and offerings. You can also find me on virtually any social media site as The Religious Hippie. Thanks for listening! A quest is a search for something, and every week the Quest podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. I'm your host, Todd Fisher. Join me in this thought-provoking and inspiring podcast of discovery. Find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and Anthony Smith and is distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure and visit the official website for Metacortex Publishing at metacortexpublishing.com or find us on social media for other unique content.